We are continuing this morning, part two, uh, this will be round two of a scheduled five-rounder, on a teaching series I've entitled Alive. These are narratives in the scripture, Old Testament as well as New Testament, where someone either was brought back to life or was near death and miraculously saved. And the takeaways, I'm hoping that God, through the Holy Spirit, will do in each of our hearts is that we have got people in our lives, children, grandkids, like I said earlier, a spouse, a brother, a work associate, a colleague that needs to be brought back to the Lord, that needs to be made alive. God is in the business, and Pastor Earl and I will talk about this more Easter Sunday. God is in the business of making dead things come alive. A dead marriage, a dead spiritual walk, a dead attitude, a dead home. And so that's, that's what we're going to be walking through this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. This is going to be a familiar story for many of us, and hopefully we can shed a little bit of a, of a different light on it today. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. But before we do that, if we could have the next slide, Miss Dawn, please. I want you to pull out your cell phone. Remember we talked last week, I asked how many people have a loved one in your life, uh, a grandchild, a son, a daughter, a spouse, someone in your life that has walked away from the Lord, does not know the Lord, just issues are happening, and, the, and God's touch needs to be very real in their lives. And nearly every hand went to the, into the air. I want you to text me right now on your cell phone. I'm giving you permission to use your cell phone. I want you to text me right now. Who would that person be in your life? You don't have to give a name. You just might say, pray, please pray for my brother or uh, Fred at work, that sort of thing. Who in your life do you need, and what's going to happen, I'm going to have a record on my cell phone that I can be praying for you guys this week, for your family, for your loved one. Would you text me right now? Who is it in your life? My child, here they come. My child's salvation, our daughter, wow, can't keep up, hang on, my children, my daughter's boyfriend, my son and my grandkids with a little heart, please pray for my dad, please pray for my kids, please pray for my coworker. Pray for my son. Our son has walked away from the Lord. Pray for our son, Brad. My brother-in-law. My dad. My closest friend. We have a nephew who walked away from the Lord. Please pray for Cameron. Pray for our grandchildren. Please remember Pastor Joel to pray for my daughter. Pray for Patty, biological mom for two of our foster kids. Pray for my brother, our brother-in-law. Pray for our grandkids. None of them know the Lord. My brother, Phil. Pray for my son's return to Christ and my son-in-law. Pray for my husband. 
Pray for all our children. Pray for my brother and our nieces. Pray for my daughter who's struggling with alcoholism. My husband, my children, our grandchildren. Man, is your heart broken yet? (laughs) See, you have no idea of what's sitting around you in these pews. Everybody's fighting a battle. Everybody's dealing with dragons, aren't they? You're going to be encouraged this morning. Would you like to be encouraged? Can we all use some encouragement today? You follow along. Amen. Raise your hand. You follow along. We're going to do the scripture, and it's going to be done in a little bit different way. John, let's go ahead and begin, begin bringing it up. By the way, actual picture uh, at the seat of Mount Moray of Nain. Luke 7, beginning in verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. In your Bibles, circle the word Nain. His disciples... A large crowd went along with him. We read that he traveled there, but we have no idea where was he coming from. How long a distance was that? Why was he going there? Next. As he approached the town gate, every town, it's not a gate like you and I think of a gate. It's just simply an opening. It doesn't close. It's just simply an opening. And anytime you go in or out of the town, you go through through this opening. It's kind of like an arch. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Watch the detail. The only son of his mother, this is important, and she was a widow. Luke fills in some spaces regarding what is taking place in this lady's life. And a large crowd from the town was with her, just as you see there. When the Lord saw her, interesting phrase, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin. You don't don't do that as a Jewish person, why not? Yeah, you're you're ceremonially defiled. And those carrying it stood still. He interrupts the funeral procession. Next. He said, see, you and I have always read this story and about this lady who had a little boy that was raised at Nain, and we think it's a child. It's not. It's an adult. This is where we can see it. Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead boy, man, got up and began to talk. They were all filled with awe and praised God. Watch the quote. They say this for a reason. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Jesus walks into this town, does things that are very unconventional, and their response is, God has come to save us. Sounds a little bit like Palm Sunday, doesn't it? Hmm? 
pull out your note outline. We're going to begin working through it. Here we go. Jesus gave, I'm sorry, Jesus gave him back to his mother. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Okay, take a peek at the next slide if you would please. Here we go. Nain is about 20 miles southwest of Capernaum. To no surprise to anybody, we have a map. Here we go. Sea of Galilee right here. Do you see it? Sea of Galilee up in the north dumps into the Jordan River, which goes on down to the Dead Sea, which is down here. Jesus sets up headquarters at this location right here. Remember, he was raised here, born in Bethlehem, way, way, way down here. Raised as a boy here, Nazareth, but he sets up his headquarters there. Why not here, where he is raised? Because there's an international highway that goes through here with merchants and traders, and this is where you set up your headquarters if you want to spread something throughout the world. So from here, notice this is, as you come around the sea, still there, Magdala, who was from there? Mary Magdalene. Over here, this is the Beit Natofa Valley. He would have come across, by the way, you, you don't go immediately as the crow flies. He would have gone through the Beit Natofa Valley. What's this right here? What happened in Cana? Water to wine. First miracle. Happened in Cana. We went through there just a few months ago. It's still there. Once he goes through the Beit Natofa Valley, he then begins cutting through a pass to Nazareth. And can you see this very, very huge valley here? The Jezreel Valley, Battle of Armageddon. Right here at Nazareth, this is the cliff they were going to push him off. You look across the Jezreel Valley over here to Mount Moray. Boom. I'm standing in the Jezreel Valley. This is where the Battle of Armageddon will occur. The blood will flow as high as the horse's bridles. Revelation. Mount Moray is over there, right there. Actually, right over here is Nazareth. I'm looking from the south, looking north at Mount Moray. This is Nazareth over here. And then there's the valley. And this is Mount Moray right here. This is New Testament. Interestingly enough, shadows of the Old Testament are all over this place. This valley right here, this location, this is where Gideon broke his trumpets and declared for the Lord and for Gideon. Remember? Right over here is where Deborah put this tent peg through, what was it, Sisera or whoever, whoever's temple. That happened right here. Jehu drove his chariot right through this direction right here. King Jezebel or Queen Jezebel, most wicked person who ever lived. King Ahab, when he took over Naboth's vineyard. Naboth's vineyard, we're standing at Naboth's vineyard. It's right here. So you've got Old Testament, New Testament right on top of each other. Very small location. Don, if you could go back, please, just one slide. Isn't it interesting? Jesus is going to take off. I said it's about 20 miles as the crow flies. By the way, if this were, just to give you a context, you think, okay, if he's starting there, is this like, like from Goshen to answer? It would be like you starting in Goshen and walking to Bremen. 
You see how tight and concise everything is over there? Judy's hometown, Bremen, Indiana. But you can't go to Bremen that way from Goshen any more than you can go as the crow flies from here, right? So again, you're going to have to go up over here, Bath and Tofa Valley, down through here. Isn't it interesting, why would he be going to Nain? We'll talk about in just a moment. He had no awareness that this guy had died or was going to die. Nobody came to him and said, hey, this guy's sick, like Lazarus. You know what I'm wondering? There's a backstory here. I bet this guy was just about the same age that Jesus was. When, Jesus, when this happened, Jesus would have been 32, young man. He goes, young man, get up. Did you ever consider the fact that maybe Jesus grew up with this guy? Look where the hometown is. Nazareth. The guy that was just raised from the dead. Less than a half mile away. They probably grew up together. Jesus probably knew him. Could it be that the Lord is resurrecting one of his childhood buddies? Don't know. But until you look at the geography and suddenly start, things start making sense, don't they? Let's keep going. Here we go. Next slide, Mount Moray. And so, number two on your note outline. Here we go. In the New Testament, when somebody dies, they were buried within a few hours. I'm going to suggest something to you that may be a little startling for you. In those days, you did not embalm. In fact, Jews never kept a body overnight. Somebody dies, you bury them immediately within a few hours. So somebody up and dies, you never keep the body overnight. Why not? Well, it's going to begin decomposing. You can't do that. So person dies, they, they call in the flute players, as we talked about last Sunday morning, they call in the professional whalers, it all happens within a couple hours, and boom, you bury them. How long does it take to walk from Capernaum to Nain? How long would it take you to walk from this church to Bremen? All day long. Has it ever occurred to you that when Jesus began the journey, guy hadn't died yet? I'll let you think about that for a moment. When he began, he hadn't died yet. Because by the, if he would have, it would have taken all day long to get there, eight to ten hour walk. Eight to ten hour walk. And by the time he gets there, they're carrying him out. He'd probably only been dead two or three hours. Which means when Jesus leaves Capernaum, death has not occurred yet. That's a little different to think about that, isn't it? Incidentally, you always, Jews would always bury somebody outside the town gate. Why would you do that? They didn't have, you know, we have cemeteries in our towns. They would not do that. Why would you not have a cemetery inside the town? Again, ritual defilement. Ritual defilement. Jot down in your margins, Numbers 19. And by the way, that's why when, when they have graveyards, they mark them carefully because if you touch a grave, you're, you Numbers 19 says you've got to go through all these hoops you've got to jump through to become ritually cleansed. 
So what they would do, watch this, they would not only put the graves out of town, but so everybody could see what the, where they were and could avoid them, they would paint them white. Does that ring a bell? You whitewashed tombs. Part of the reason they painted them white was for appearance. Part of it was to keep people to to make sure people would see them. And so, isn't it interesting? Jot in your margin, Matthew twenty three twenty seven. Jesus accused the Pharisees: "You whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look white, but on the inside, you are defiled and rotted." And finally, number three, if we could have the next slide. This dead man was the widow's only son. We read that, but there's significance to what's being said here. Verse 12, this lady has already lost her husband. In those days, widows were very vulnerable. That's why the book of Acts talks about you need to attend widows. There are widows and there's widows indeed. You know, when they were kind of divvying up and they, and they changed the policy, or the polity rather, the, the governance structure of reaching out in ministry in the book of Acts, they said, one of the things they said, we're going we're to create deacons and so forth. And they said, well, one of the things we want to make sure is that the widows are still cared for. Again, it's a cultural issue. Widows are extremely vulnerable. So they don't have Social Security. Widows can't, usually can't work, they're decrepit, and so unless you become a beggar, like the lady who only dropped in two pence, remember? You can either be a beggar or your family has to take care of you. So when it says that she was the dead man, was this widow, she's already vulnerable, only son, there, go, there goes her means of being taken care of. This young man probably cared for his mother. And by the way, why was it in those days that everybody wanted a son? Hannah prayed, Lord, give me a son. One thing a mother in Israel always wants is a son. Why? Well, two reasons. Uh, Number one, if you didn't have a son, it was the end of your family line. We, We feel that today. My, you know, we, we have three boys. I mean, we know that the DeSelm family name will go on. It's a whole issue of history and lineage. We still think about that. In those days, to a Jew, that's a big deal. See? Isn't it interesting? Jot in your margin, Luke 9.38. Same writer, by the way. Luke 9.38. Listen to what he says. A dad comes to Jesus and says, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only boy. Interesting. You see this emerge again. This idea of only having a, a, one son. Everybody prays for a son. See? And so once again, you have this cultural thing taking place. And finally, let's go to number four. Jesus acts unexpectedly even prior to the miracle. What are some ways that Jesus acts that you wouldn't anticipate? What are some things he does? Well, he takes off before the guy's dead. That's kind of different. He walks up to this woman and says, stop stop crying. What an outrageous statement. 
a widow just loses her only son, there goes her lineage, there goes her family history, there goes her means of a, a support, and Jesus says, stop crying. It's a little different. He tells the funeral procession to stop. Imagine that. Imagine you in a funeral procession with your loved one, and some total stranger comes up and says, stop the funeral procession. Okay, stop the cars. Halt the funeral. What would be your response? Dude, who are you? What's going on? Right? See? And then, oddly enough, they stop. Well, you would when the authority of Jesus speaks. Kind of like Lazarus comes forth. Lazarus comes forth. Boom, Lazarus comes out of the grave. As one man said, it's a good thing he used the word Lazarus. Had Jesus simply said, come forth. No, that's not what I meant. (laughs) The other thing is, and we mentioned this earlier, is that he touches the stretcher. You don't do that. You don't do that. He touches the stretcher. And they're probably going, whoa. And so he, isn't it interesting, Jesus acts in ways we don't anticipate. Judy and I were talking about this this morning. She's in there brushing her teeth, and I'm going in there, and she goes, I, I, I just don't understand how God works sometimes. Do you ever have conversations like this? I don't understand. If I were God, I wouldn't do it this way. Why does he do this? Why does he allow this? You know, how many times have you had this conversation? Man, you know, we felt as parents we're doing everything right. Raise your children up in the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Some of you are thinking, how'd that happen? My kid walks away from the Lord. I thought we took him to church and youth group and 3DYC and Bethel College. And I, don't, I don't know. Isn't it interesting how Jesus is acting in unexpected ways in your family right now? What do we do with this? I'd like to suggest, just to encourage you, Let's see, one, two, three, four. Here we go, number one. Here's what we do, number one. I love this. Jesus already has a plan in mind to bring your child, your brother, your brother-in-law, your daughter, your son, your spouse, back to life. And he has already set into motion that plan. Isn't it interesting? I'm just going to arbitrarily say, Jesus gets up in the morning at Capernaum. Let's say it's 7 a.m. Walks out with his disciples, and they look at him and says, what's going on today, boss? He goes, follow along. Where are you going? Nay, nay. That's an all-day hike, dude. I know. What's going on at Nain? No indication is given that anybody in the crowd had any idea 
why Jesus was going to Nain. Jesus knew why he was going to Nain. By, by the way, the reason he didn't tell him? Oh, you want to know the reason I'm going to Nain? Because Ralph is going to die in three hours. The guy's not dead yet. Jesus doesn't say anything. I'm heading to Nain. See, the Lord already had in mind where he was going, what was going to occur there, why he was going. He just isn't telling anybody. But he already had begun setting into motion his intention to bring new life to this guy. And see, where you and I hiccup is that he already has set into motion what he is doing in the life of your daughter. He's just not telling you. Well, I wish he'd tell me what's going on. You don't need to know. You just need to trust it, see. He knew exactly. He didn't, he, Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to go to Nain. What are you going there? I have no idea. I just thought it sounded like a nice place to take a walk. No, he knows why he's going there. He's just not letting anybody else know why he's going there. Isn't it interesting? They have no sense of divine purpose at that point. I'm going to say it again. Those with him have no sense of divine purpose. It's all in the plan of God, and so are the circumstances surrounding your loved one right now. You see, I have a hard enough time, as we said this morning, brushing our teeth together, interpreting the present much less making sense of the past, and I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. Isn't it interesting? Jesus not only knows the past, he knows what he's doing in the present, and he already anticipates what's going to happen in the future. This guy's going to die in two or three hours while, while we're en route. Fully understands what he's doing. So, number two, where does that leave us? This is where it leaves us. You're right, Lord. I don't have any idea what you're doing. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what you're up to. I don't understand it. So what am I supposed to? This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to follow him. And that's exactly what they did. The disciples followed him. What's going on, boss? Don't worry about it, John. What's going on? Thomas knows what's going on. I doubt it. I must follow Jesus. Though, remember, I've told you, I, can, I, have, I cannot dictate the terms or the timing. That's not for you. That's not your call. See, in terms of the timing, you want it to be accomplished now because you want the pain to stop. God has a design for your pain. Judy and I have probably learned more through pain. It's a, it's a wonderful teacher. I want, I'm pain aversive. I want pain to stop. Answer my prayer. Do so now. So the pain stops. 
The Lord says, I'm not going to do that. Well, why not? Because I'm accomplishing something in you through the pain. That's why. So, trust me and follow. And that's what he's saying to each one of us as well. Number three. I love this part. Jesus always operates from a posture of grace and compassion. Caring more about our broken hearts than we can ever imagine. That verse 13, it says, his heart went out to her. Have you considered the pain that you're going through right now? The Lord's heart's going out to you. I don't think Jesus was saying to her, don't cry, come on, suck it up, you're going to be all right. Stop this nonsense. That's not the way he said He said, you needn't cry. Why not? You just can't see what I'm going to do. I got this. You're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Want to know why? Because I love you. You see, this is where I lose my ball in the weeds. I forget the Lord's care and kindness. I think he's up there going, stop crying. He cares. His, his compassion. And incidentally, as I alluded earlier, isn't it interesting, nobody asked him to come. Now, in last week's message, the story of Jairus, Jairus went, remember the synagogue ruler, and falls at, his, at Jesus' feet, begs him, Ple- my little daughter, my little 12-year-old's dying, please come. Isn't that interesting? In this situation, none of that happened. The centurion shows up and says to Jesus, my, my, my servant is dying, please come. In this situation, it doesn't happen. Not only that, but in this situation, nobody seems to have any faith. Faith did not cause the miracle to happen. By the way, Jesus doesn't necessarily need your faith to work, to make things happen. See, we've bought into this idea that if we don't get an answer to prayer, it's because we don't have enough faith. Well, you just don't have enough faith. If you had enough faith, you would be healed. If you had enough faith, the Lord would change this, but apparently you don't have enough faith. Isn't it interesting? In this situation, he intervenes. Nobody shows any faith. The mom didn't. The guy didn't. He was dead. Disciples didn't even know what was going on. Give an illustration. A guy's going to go out ice fishing, and he thinks that the ice is going to hold him. The ice is only a quarter of an inch thick. And he, he said, you know what? Where are you going, Frank? I'm going to go ice fishing. No, that's not good. No, no, no. I've done this before. I know ice. No problem. I'll be just fine. He just, he is fully confident. Walks out in the lake and what happens? <laughs> Breaks through. Tons of faith. Didn't work. Two days later, after a big, big polar vortex, Freddie goes, hey, Frank, want to go out ice fishing? No way, Jack. I'm not going out. Last time I went, I fell through the ice. Well, now the ice is 12 inches thick. 
well, interesting. Hey, no, I think we're going to be, no, I'm not going out. Come on, let's go out ice fishing, Jack. I'm not going. Then I'm going to drag you out there. And so here's Frank pulling Freddy, and, and he's screaming and yelling, no, 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 I'm going to fall through the ice. Gets out there on 12 inches of ice, and what happens? It holds him. Has nothing to do with the amount of faith. What it has to do is what your faith's in. In fact, Jesus said, even if you have faith the size of that interesting. What he's saying is the amount of your faith is not what activates the power of God. Sometimes God, I'm not saying you shouldn't have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray and have faith. But there are times that God says, you know what? I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to work anyway. Why? Because of my compassion because I'm a God of grace. And I think that's what we see in this story. John MacArthur makes this statement. I think it's an interesting, if we can have the next screen, please. God is not impotent, meaning powerless. And your faith is not omnipotent. It is not hinging upon your faith. It hinges upon the power of God, the grace of God, the purposes of God. And I think this story illustrates that so well. And finally, with this, we'll be done. Here we go. Jesus used this circumstance to establish that he is Messiah and Lord. Remember I said to you earlier when they conclude in verse 16, a great prophet has appeared among us. Here's my question. Why would they say that? Let me tell you what you don't know. The town of Nain. Don, would you be able to go back and show me Mount Moray again, please? Can, are you able to pull that back? Yeah, thank you. Very good. The town of Nain is right here at Mount Moray. What you don't know I never identified what this town is over here. You know what that town is? In the Old Testament, that town was Shunem. Does that ring a bell? At the town of Shunem, Elijah goes into town and raises a boy from the dead. Interesting. To a Jew, they make that association. The last time somebody raised a young man from the dead at this location was Elijah. Is it any wonder they respond, a great prophet has now come among us. Bible says there will be a second Elijah. What is Jesus doing? He is using this incident to say, you know what, you guys are pretty sharp. I bet you can connect the dots. I will purposely do the miracle of Elijah in the exact same location to show you a new Elijah has indeed come. 
and for you and me. But the message he's sending on Palm Sunday is, guess what? Messiah and Lord and King promised in the Old Testament is here today. Are you encouraged? Boy, I tell you, I needed it today, didn't you? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that as we blow the dust off this old story, we can be reminded of significant truth. Lord, I want to thank you for your care and compassion that, that your heart breaks for this mom and your heart breaks for us. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes you, you, you don't tell us what you're doing. And all you do is just smile and say, follow, follow me. Thank you that you know the beginning from the end, that you'd start out early in the morning and the guy's not even dead yet and yet you know what you're doing. Thank you that it's not dependent upon our faith, dependent upon you. Lord, help us to trust you afresh today, to follow you faithfully, to remember that you care. We thank you that indeed, a prophet is among us again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you're standing so we can bless one another, just a real quick couple family matters. Uh, we found a Fitbit in the lobby. If it's yours, come see me. If it fits your wrist, I'll sell it back to you for 20 bucks. No, you can have it if it's yours. And secondly, uh, praise team, just remember we're having our potluck in the small fellowship hall afterwards. You don't have to rush down there, but get there when you can. Could I bless you? Could we bless one another? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with God's grace.